Welcome to Central Valley Physicians Podcast. My name is Nicole Butler, and I'm with Fresno Madeira Medical Society. And today I have Brenna Hughes here from Community Regional Medical Center. She's the team lead of the speech department, and we're going to talk about concussions. And so my first question, Brenna, oh, welcome, by the way. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. My first question is, is I, I hear your name, and, and I, I've you know, worked with you in the past, I hear speech therapy, and then I'm like, okay, how does concussion come into this? So can you give us a little background about yourself? And then what, how did you get interested in talking about concussions? Sure. So I've worked at Community Regional, the level one trauma center in the area um, for about 11 years. And so what we do there, um, anything from evaluating patients who enter the emergency department after a car accident, and maybe have a traumatic brain injury, um, all the way to a patient on the floors of the hospital or in the ICU. Um, some of them, you know, a wide range of, of injuries could be um, a fall from a horse or, um, you know, even a fall from a ladder or something along those lines with regards to a traumatic injury to their head. And so we will um, sometimes evaluate them for how are they swallowing, how are they speaking. How is their cognition, their attention, and their memory? Um, and we look at all of those those factors um, as far as what level of support they're going to need as they transition home and out of the hospital. Okay, so. you know, and you bring up a good point because I think with what you what most people hear right now when it comes to concussions, it's all in the you know the young teen young kid in sports and things like that but you actually bring up and and i want to talk about that but but i want you to continue a little bit more on you know what you're experiencing at the hospital through the trauma center and and the work that you're doing on concussions because it could be pretty much anything with trauma to the head it doesn't have to be a sports related it could be car accident falling from the ladder like you said absolutely yeah so my experience is that you know it can be from a traumatic mechanism for anything, like you said. So um, there's a lot of common misconceptions about concussion in particular. Um, oftentimes people think you have to lose consciousness when you have a concussion, and that's definitely not the case. So any traumatic mechanism of injury to the body doesn't even have to involve the head directly um, with any one symptom. And that symptom could in- be anything. It could be a physical symptom like headache, dizziness, some of the most common symptoms, um, nausea, vomiting. Um, It could be sensitivity to light or noise or feeling fatigued, tired, um, or just a little altered for a second. Those symptoms can last anywhere from a second to a few minutes to weeks to even longer um, if there's prolonged recovery. Um, Those are some of the physical symptoms, but you could even have um, a cognitive symptom, like you can't pay attention, you can't remember things, you're feeling mentally foggy. Um, It could be emotional. It could be you're feeling irritable, sad, overly emotional, um, nervous, anxious, um, or a sleep symptom, like you're exhausted and you're drowsy, but you can't sleep, or you're sleeping a lot more than normal or a lot less than than you usually do. So some of the things we see oftentimes, you know, we see um, injuries of all severities from mild to moderate to severe, and a concussion is a mild traumatic brain injury. And oftentimes those get missed. You could see how, for example, a kid who falls off a go-kart or, you know, falls out of a go-kart or playing on the playground, um, 
might not even know he had a concussion. He feels dazed or stunned for a few minutes, but maybe mom's not even there with him. And maybe he never talked to his mother or father about it and never went to the hospital. So you could see how concussions can, can happen without um, that child or that person even going to the hospital. And um, our experience in the hospital is oftentimes, even when they do come, the focus is often on um, other things like broken bones or life-saving measures sometimes. Um, and that headpiece oftentimes gets missed. Yeah. And so you, you spark something. So when you talk about the signs and the symptoms, I mean, that is something that at any given day somebody could have one of those. I mean, that could be a mild headache that's turned into something worse. So, but a concussion, even if you're not hitting the head, is always going to be initiated by something abnormal, like a, a jolt or a fall or something. It's not, it's not, you're just not going to, one's not going to occur. Yeah. It's not, it, you know, if you're walking down the street and you just develop a headache, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not a concussion unless you have some type of traumatic mechanism to the body or the head. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it could be from a fall where you might not have even hit your head with that fall, but you have to think about the anatomy of the brain and, and the head. And basically your brain is very soft tissue floating on water, cerebral spinal fluid inside a hard shell with a lot of ridges. So it's a lot like an egg. And so even if you have a helmet on, for example, and you fall off a bike, that helmet prevents you from having a skull fracture. It doesn't prevent you from having having a concussion. And same thing like in football, um, because that brain moves back and forth like an egg, um, and there's shearing and tearing that can occur of those brain cells that we can't even see on an x-ray. That's fascinating. And that's, that, that's a good way of putting it into perspective that your brain, for the most part, is, sits in this, this ball, which is your head, and it's got all of this water around it. And so like an egg, if you move it around a lot, it's going to get damaged. Absolutely. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you, you talk about the, the concussion and I guess my thing is, is, you know, what damage is happening to the brain and can it be fixed? Um, there's a lot of, that's a, a loaded question because, <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where um, we say if, if you've seen or evaluated one concussion, you've seen or evaluated one concussion. Um, because when we have a broken arm, um, we know how that's going to heal more or less systematically every time. Um but when we're talking about the brain, the brain is so unique to each individual patient. We have to consider a lot of factors. We have to consider their age. We have to consider um, their, develop- their development. Did they have a normal, healthy development? Or are there other factors there? We have to also consider, have they had prior concussions? And that's a huge, um, a huge thing. Because if you take... For example, a child who was drug exposed in utero and you compare that child with a a healthy developing child and you take um, one of those children, um, the one that was drug exposed, and you give them a concussion at five years old and you give that or that other child also sustains a concussion at five years old, you might have a very different outcome for that child who already had pre-existing developmental problems. Um, so the, the recovery might not be as smooth. It might be a lot more complex. Um, the other thing we know about brain injuries is that the risk for having a second or a third 
is much higher after having one. And so um, after you've had one concussion, the risk of having another increases by four to six times. There's a lot of reasons for that. Um, One being um, just being in a high-risk environment. The likelihood of sustaining another concussion if you stay in that environment is going to be high. Um, One example of that is an environment of domestic violence. So being in an environment with domestic violence, the risk of having another head injury is high. Um, Oftentimes being in high-impact sports, um, being in that environment, same type of thing being in that environment and not being fully recovered, the likelihood of having another concussion is high. Imagine taking someone who, um, for example, is a high-level athlete and they're playing this high-level sport and you jumble their brain a little bit. And so now their vision, their balance, everything's been jarred. Maybe they're reacting a little bit slower or their visual attention is just a tiny bit off but you put them in that in that same environment and expect them to perform at that same high level and they can't do it. And so their risk for re-injury is much higher. Yeah. Hey, with the sports piece of it, I, I do want to jump in and dive into that. But my first question is, is, yeah. is a teenager or a child more susceptible to a concussion than, than an adult would be? I mean, your average, let's not take your, your pro athlete out of the picture, just your average, you know, you have... 11 year old and a 22 year old and they have the same you know they're in the same car accident or something and they both have you know head trauma is one more susceptible than the other or is it just good luck bad luck harder head harder eggshell you know how does that how do you look at that yeah I'm I'm really glad you brought this up because this is a really key point for any parents especially listening um It's really, really critical that we understand that with children, um, we used to think that, oh, they're younger, they're going to heal faster, they're going to be fine. What we now realize is there's inherent physical characteristics that make them more vulnerable to long-term problems from concussion. So, for example, um, children have less cerebral blood volume. They have less developed neck muscles, so like little bobbleheads running around. Um, so they can have more of an what we call acceleration, deceleration force of the brain. And they have less myelination, which is that outer protective layer of the brain. And so um, we also know that the brain continues to develop until age 25. And so having an injury to a developing brain can cause more diffuse damage than a brain that's already developed. And so um, oftentimes we see um, these children who are developing and they start, let's say they have one concussion and then their risk for having another concussion increases. And now we're on this path of having repeated concussions. That can be very concerning, especially in the context of what we talked about earlier, which is They don't get identified always. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they get misdiagnosed with something else um, or they just don't get diagnosed. So they get frustrated and they get, um, you know, maybe burnt out in school and they don't have the support and they're trying to do well. Um, So there can be a lot of problems with that. We also know that um, there's a very peak period now um, of brain development um, between the ages of essentially 9 to 12. And there's a lot of really um, key parts of the brain that develop during that time. 
And when you think about just the Central Valley alone and you think about um, some of these kids and when they're starting to play very high impact sports. Um, I was recently on, I went on ESPN radio because we were talking about um, some of the boxing and the sparring that's developing all over the community. And these kids, um, you know, are sustaining multiple concussions within minutes. Um, the whole goal of boxing is, you know, to give the, the opponent concussions. So we're seeing a lot of problems with that as well. Um, so, yeah, it's a huge, huge concern when we're talking about, about kids and being exposed to high-impact sports at an early age. Um, you know, there's campaigns out there, for example, no header, no brainer is mm-hmm. one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, kids playing soccer at an early age and telling them, Hey, don't head the ball, um, until later in life. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and, and it's tough too. I mean, I, I think that especially in the central Valley, we sports is a big deal. It's a big deal in elementary school, junior high and it's off the charts in high school and every single one you think about every single one of their sports that everything there's not one out there that you would say oh you can play this sport and you can be safe there's not i mean i mean i can't think of one i mean even golf you potentially could get hit in the head you <laughs> yeah, know so true. there's not really anything true. that that's that's going to prevent you from it you know let, let's talk about the younger child that you know that you're as a parent you're not with your child 24 hours a day you talked about some of the symptoms, but maybe for a younger child, what are something that we can look for that's out of the norm or that we can pinpoint thinking to ask the question of, of um, the child or the, the, the child care provider, hey, did something happen? This is what I'm seeing. Is mm-hmm. there signs or symptoms that you can um, share that as a parent you could look for? Yeah, obviously if there's ever any outward signs of the child hitting their head, you know, like bruising or scrapes or things like that, you want to definitely inquire, ask those questions, what happened, try to figure out if there were any witnesses or somebody observe what happened. But oftentimes there's not those outward signs. And so um, things like a child acting very irritable, um, which, you know, is tough. You know, as a mm-hmm. mom, you, you see that all the time when they don't get enough sleep or they don't eat right. or things like that. And so it's hard to kind of tease that out. Um, but if you know your child hit their head in any way and then you're noticing the irritability or they're not sleeping well or um, a really um, – a, a really good definitive red flag would be they're sensitive to light. You turn on the lights and they, they can't handle it or they don't like the noise. Um, you know, you could see how some of these symptoms, though, like the irritability or um, being overwhelmed or overstimulated um, for like an adolescent child, you could see how that could easily be, be mixed with, oh, it's <coughs> right. just their teenage right. years. This is just how they are. Um, but, but maybe there is some underlying, um, issues regarding hitting their head. Something that happened in the mm-hmm. past. So, you know, you think your, your child has a concussion or you saw them hit their head. What should you do? It's definitely something that, um, I would encourage any listeners to kind of educate, do as much education as they can to self-educate. Um, There's some great websites out there, some educational websites. The CDC has a lot of programs, um, the Heads Up Concussion Program. Another great one is Brainline.org. But if if your child sustains a concussion or you think they might have sustained a concussion, 
the recommendation is always to see a doctor within 24 hours um, to rule out something more serious. Um, so whether that's taking them to the emergency department or taking them, getting them in right away to see their primary care physician, they need to see a doctor. Now the question I'll pose is that it needs to be a physician that's trained in concussion management because some of the problems that we see, um, particularly around the Central Valley, is um, athletes who are cleared to return to um, their sport too soon. And in addition to that, um, the focus is on returning the, the child to the sport, and we forget about the academic piece. I mean, these are kids that have injured their brain, arguably the most intricate organ in their body, and we're not even considering the fact that they might be struggling to concentrate in the classroom or remembering to turn in their homework or with some of the schoolwork they're dealing with day to day. Um, you know, some of these kids that, that we've seen, they're, they're forgetting where their classroom is. Um, and they're trying to do well, but they've, they've struggled and they've developed secondary problems because they know they're not performing how they were, but um, they don't know why. Or maybe it's the teacher that should be releasing them back into the sport. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> saying, yeah, you know. Yeah, and and really, there there is a big push for that um, to consider the return to learning piece. We call it before we return to, to the sport. To yeah. the sport, and there's a big push with that to really work with the family and the the physicians to make sure that that's happening. But you can you can see how if if a parent isn't educated on that and they take their child to maybe a physician who's not well versed in the return to learn as well as the return to play protocols, how they could just kind of um, clear them to return too soon. I know it happens. It happens all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, uh, somebody comes in for an assessment of a of a concussion. What does that look like? I mean, how how is a, how is a trained physician in this area? Um, assessing a patient or doing an exam on a patient? There's a number of ways. Um, one of the things they do initially um, is a neuro exam to rule out anything more serious. Um, another thing that we have to look at is a clinical assessment, which would evaluate their symptoms. Um, so there's um, something we call a symptom rating scale. That's one component. Um, oftentimes there's a neurocognitive assessment. Um, you may have heard of baseline testing. And um, there's a big push for that as well to have pre- and post-injury testing. So the idea behind it is if we know we're putting a child into a high-risk environment to hit their head, which would be any um, high-impact sport, that the idea is we do a baseline test. So we test their, their cognition, their thinking, their memory, their reaction time, all of these things. Um, one of the gold standards is, is called impact. It's a um, baseline test. And the, the kids spend 20 minutes on the computer taking this assessment. So we have a baseline. That way, when they're playing and let's say mid-season, they hit their head um, and we want to rule out a concussion or we think they had a concussion, we want to repeat that assessment and see if they're they're performing more poor than they did initially or if they're doing okay. That's just one piece of the pie, though. Um, we definitely don't want to just use the baseline assessment as, okay, they're great. They're back mm-hmm. back to where they were. We need to consider, um, you know, all those symptoms we talked about earlier, the, the physical symptoms, the cognitive symptoms, sleep symptoms, emotional symptoms. Any of those things need to be absolutely gone 
So for example, at step one, they're, they're at the rest stage. And that's while those symptoms are recovering. Now, each, um, each level after that is, you know, you might add some, like for example, return to learn, you might start to add some familiar activities that challenge cognition. Maybe they're reading or writing or doing things like that as their symptoms are getting better. If their symptoms worsen or they come back, then you back up to the rest stage. And so it's this step-by-step process of recovery. And at each level, you returned to the previous level if symptoms increase or worsen. And that's the same thing with regards to um, returning to sports. And these are recommendations that the physician would be making and working with the family and the child um, when they do that initial assessment. Um, One of the things that I do want to point out is that um, when they do that initial assessment, it shouldn't just be, okay, now I'm going to follow up and retest this child for six weeks. A normal concussion should recover within two weeks. And if we have symptoms persisting past two to three weeks, we're looking at more of a prolonged recovery and maybe post-concussive syndrome and that kind of thing. And that really needs to be evaluated by um, rehabilitation professionals. And so um, it can be evaluated and actually treated. And that's some of the things we see is these kids don't actually get the evaluation or the treatment that they need um, because we're just testing them over and over again. And so, for example, they could be referred to a physical therapist who could assess um, neck range of motion or their, their vestibular function. Um, they can go see an occupational therapist that specializes in vision therapy. Um, or they can see a speech pathologist, which is what I do, um, that can evaluate their cognition and treat that appropriately, too. So I, I want to ask the question, is there... Are there sports teams or schools, junior high, elementary, even high schools that are doing this, that are actually making sure that the the, kid, the children that are at risk or have been diagnosed are going through these steps, seeing a doctor that's been trained and going through these pre-cognitive tests, post-cognitive, and this, these other um, therapies, per se? Is it happening? I've done a ton of outreach all over the the nation. Um, I've reached out to to colleagues and professionals all over. And it is happening. Um, Whether it's happening in the Central Valley is kind of a big question mark for me. Um, The reason I say that is because, you know, I've worked with local school districts. We're making a lot of progress. We're making gains. Um, But I get phone calls and emails you know, on a very frequent basis of, um, from frantic parents who got my name from someone, um, or heard about our concussion consortium and, um, they're feeling frustrated and they're lost and they, they, they're having these problems because they weren't referred to the right professionals or they weren't assessed properly. Um, you know, or I, or I see some patients that are admitted to the hospital, um, and in spending time and evaluating them, they were returned to the sport too soon. And so I do think that it might be happening in some places, but we have a very long way to go in the Central Valley. I'll agree because I, I, I mean, I don't know much about it. I don't have um, children that play sports that are old enough right now, but um, 
I would guess that that you're probably correct that it's not. Um, I want to hear more about the consortium, but I have one question for you. <laughs> In your sure. opinion, should kids be playing contact sports, period? <laughs> Um, that's a loaded question also. Um, you know, I'm a, I've been an athlete my whole life. I played division one water polo at San Diego state. Um, you know, I, I love sports. I see a lot of value in sports. I just think that, um, we, we have a long way to go to helping kids, um, stay safe in sports. Um, you know, I was one of the local water polo refs out here that was probably one of the very few refs that would actually pull a kid out after they sustained a possible concussion. I said, go get checked out. Now, how many refs are out there doing that? Probably not a lot. Um, so as far as that goes, I, I, I just think that we have a ways to go with regards to, uh, making games safer, um, and, and helping the kids that do sustain concussions, from returning too soon, Mm because that's really the key thing. Um, They're at risk for what we call second impact syndrome. Their brains are very vulnerable to swelling uncontrollably um, after their brain is trying to heal from that initial concussion. It's rare, but it happens enough to be a total tragedy. And we have had some local cases. Um, That's why, that's what prompted national legislation across the country was the Zach Lysted law up in Washington after a 12-year-old kid back in 2009 sustained a concussion. He was complaining of headaches and all of these symptoms, and he was allowed to continue to play football. And he was airlifted um, to the medical center there where they had to remove parts of his skull to allow his brain to swell. Um, And that child will never be the same. He will never be the same. So we took a essentially a mild injury um, and because he sustained a second one, it became a very severe injury. Wasn't treated the first time. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, so it is important for for the parent to play the advocator here. I mean, because you know, I I have an older daughter who I think you actually co- or yeah. actually was a ref for yeah. one of her games um, that just wants to play. I mean, they have mm-hmm. that, which is great. I think it's great for kids to have that sense of competition and be successful and play sports and especially team sports I'm an avid um, person and supporter of that but I really truly believe it It has to be left up to the parents to make the decisions you're the parents make the decisions making sure your your child's Mm -hmm. seeing the right doctor making sure they're being evaluated properly and you make the decision along with the doctor and with the the teacher of what your child's going to do because ultimately, you know, it's your responsibility. And I know it gets tough when, when at those teenage years, because, you know, they think they know everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So interesting. So d- tell me a little bit about the consortium and, and what exactly, how it developed and what, what do you, what does it look like now? And, and, you know, what is, what, what should the general public know about it? Mm-hmm. Um, we developed the Central Valley Concussion Consortium back in 2012. I was part of the um, Sports Injury Prevention Committee over at Valley Children's Hospital. And when that, and concussion was just one component of that. Um, Heat exhaustion and overuse injury was part of that. Um, And once that committee fizzled out, we started the um, Central Valley Concussion Consortium. We mirrored it after what they're doing up in Sacramento, um, where all the local hospitals, medical professionals from all over the community came together and said, hey, we can uh, we can come together and put our thoughts together, how to keep kids safe. 
and do some education and outreach. Um, so since 2012, um, our consortium has, um, you know, we meet regularly, probably, well, quarterly, probably about four times a year. Um, and it's made up of medical professionals um, all over, educators, school districts. It's about educators and medical professionals um, supporting each other and coming together and how can we best um, provide support services to our kids locally. Um, we've put on three successful um, concussion symposiums over the years, um, and that's been made up of, you know, the general public and medical professionals and educators all over the region who have come to, to receive education on concussion management. Um, there's been a lot of... Um, a lot of changes, a lot of really positive things that have come from that. Um, we did a concussion pilot with Sanger High School where um, any kid that sustained a concussion was referred to um, a physician out of UCSF Fresno at Clinica Sierra Vista, and he saw them and put them through the, the concussion protocol. And if they had any persisting symptoms, they were referred to our outpatient clinic for you know physical therapy, occupational therapy, or speech therapy. Um, so we've had some really great um, positive things from from the consortium and so outreach. the the Sanger High School um, program that you started with them is that something that's still going on and are you looking to expand it into other high schools? Um, it's changed a little bit. It's still going on. Um, so we we coordinated with Wells Fargo Play It Safe um, Insurance Program for that and. Um, that the physician that was part of that symposium or that pilot moved to um, he's down in Dinuba now at a more rural clinic, and so it actually still works out. Um, it's just he's at a different location mm -hmm. as far as that goes, and he's working with the school physician as well. So, so if if a, a parent knows that their child was hit hard, probably has a concussion. Should they start with a primary care or should they seek out a specialist that has been trained in concussion? I think definitely start with um, your primary care, you know, get in as soon as you can. Um, but I would definitely ask the question, how, how much training do you have in concussion management? And um, that's a really key question because before you trust a physician to clear your child, um, you want to make sure that they have have the training. Yeah, sure. and, and we have great doctors in the Central Valley. I have no doubt that a lot of them have probably been trained on this, but, mm -hmm. you know, nobody should ever feel like they can ask a second opinion for anything. I mean, I work with doctors daily, mm -hmm. and if I don't feel comfortable about something my doctor says, I'm always going to go and ask for a second opinion. You're not you're not offending anybody. It's just, you know, you just want to feel safe. And, yeah. and as parents, I think you, you have that, that voice in the back of the head that just knows, you know, what you need to do, what the next step is. Absolutely. Trust your instincts on that for sure as a parent. Yeah. So talk about, like you talked about the treatment with the rest and everything. Is there, is there medications? I mean, should a concussion patient that has a headache be taking pain medication at all? Um, I'm glad you brought that up because the train of thought used to be, um, you know, if someone has persisting symptoms, let's make them um, go sit in a dark room, take away all activities that could, um, you know, elicit symptoms or make symptoms worse. And we would take all their activities away and have them go sit in a dark room. Well, what happened when you take a child who's very active in sports and you make them go sit in a dark room and not have any access to their phone or texting or any activities, 
um, they get depressed, they Mm -hmm. get anxious. And so we started realizing, wait a minute, this isn't going to work. This, um, we need to, to look at this in moderation. And so, um, the, the guideline now is two days of brain rest, um, and then starting to kind of reintroduce activities. Obviously we need to consider, um, are these activities, um, making the symptoms worse? Um, or are they, you know, for example, if reading a book gives them an excruciating headache, okay, maybe that's not something we do, but there's something we call replacement behaviors, which is a fairly new concept. So maybe you don't watch a loud um, sports show or maybe you don't watch a football game loud and cheering um, on TV, but maybe you can watch a calm and soothing movie mm-hmm. and it doesn't elicit symptoms. Or maybe you can't um, run around outside or do some crazy stuff, but maybe you can sit inside and fold laundry or do dishes or do something that does take some brain power to do, but it's quiet. It's in a quiet environment. It's calm. It's soothing that kind of thing. So I guess the the last question, the most important question is, can can you fully recover or are there any long-term effects from a concussion or do you even know that at this point? We're definitely in the infancy um, as far as the research here. Um, I think one of the key points is, you know, we don't, we don't always think about the brain as an organ in our body that we need to take care of. Um, We do know the brain develops until age 25, and then after that, we lose about 75,000 brain cells a day. And so we have billions and billions to spare, Um, but we're starting to to look at things like chronic traumatic encephalopathy, and we're starting to look at things like dementia, and we're starting to look at things like psychiatric illness and go, hmm, how related and how much associated is this repeated brain trauma to this? Obviously, um, you know, things that we do, our lifestyles, our behaviors, things that we do either contribute to that cell deceleration or it keeps it at bay a little bit. And so being healthy and exercise and all those things that are good for the heart are also good for the brain. Um, you know, drinking alcohol is not great for the brain. Um, you know, there's different things that we can do to help take care of our brains having brain trauma is not one of them for Mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we say things like, Oh, things in moderation are okay. Drugs, not so much brain Mm -hmm. trauma, not so much. Um, so we're definitely starting to, um, you know, there's a lot of research coming out of university of Boston and things like that, looking at NFL players, brains, things like that. Um, I can tell you just from, um, my experience clinically at the trauma center, that I'm seeing long-term effects from children that have had repeated concussions at an early age, and I'm seeing them with a world of secondary problems in their early 20s, early 30s. And, um, you know, I don't have definitive um, data to suggest that it's chronic traumatic encephalopathy, but I do know that seeing these patients with repeated head trauma, um, oftentimes we have really poor outcomes as far as secondary behaviors, substance abuse, self-medicating behaviors, which lead to more impulsive behaviors and repeated head trauma as well. Well, and I think that that's some of the things that they're seeing in adults as well. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, as you know, the going back to some of the the athletes that are constantly multiple head traumas and I, you know, 
you hear onesies and twosies about that. So mm-hmm. there could be, there's something there. Mm-hmm. So g- share with um, the people listening some of the, the websites that you talked about before that would be good information if you do have kids in sports or if you, if you do want to brush up on what to look for for signs and symptoms and then actually for recovery, you know, how, how they're going through the different levels of, of recovery and, um, and what, what, they're, what they should expect from their doctors. Sure. Um, so some great websites would be um, there is brainline.org is one of them. They have a lot of educational videos on there. You can get on and just click on it and listen to some neurologists talk about concussions and what to expect. Um, another great one is the cdc.gov website, and that's one that has a ton of educational materials You can click on education for parents, education for the student, education for teachers. Um, So we have a great heads up series um, that you can you can look for on there. And then um, your other question was regarding what should they expect from yeah from the physician. physician, Yeah. Um, Essentially, if if your child sustains a concussion, you would expect to um, get a full neuro exam, make sure that they rule out something serious. Um, ideally they're testing, um, how, how the child is doing as far as cognitively, their orientation, their memory, things like that. Um, if they don't have a baseline test, it's okay. They can still do a post-injury test to test those things. Um, and also a clinical exam, looking at all those symptoms we talked about, Mm -hmm. um, education and educating the patient and the family about the concussion management and then if it doesn't get better in a week to two, two weeks, referring to a specialist that's trained in concussion management. One of the things I failed to mention is um, you can have a cervicogenic, um, which basically is a neck injury um, with muscles in your neck, um, with a lot less force than the force that you need to cause a concussion. And so majority of concussions also have some component of um, neck injury. Neck injury. Those problems in the neck can manifest itself like concussion, concussion symptoms. Yeah. So, you, so you could have headaches, dizziness, these kinds of problems that really, if you see a physical therapist that's trained in this, can manage those symptoms and you can see um, significant improvement right away just in therapy. And so that's why I mean it's a really complex issue because there's so many different components Um but I think the key thing is if you're not seeing good recovery in the first couple weeks mm-hmm. that you do get referred to a specialist. Um, and I think just that initial diagnosis and actually knowing what you're dealing with is it, it really can't be understated because um, I see patients all the time and they, they're sitting there going, what is wrong with me? And when someone affirms you've had a concussion, you've injured your brain, that's why you're feeling this way. That's why you have these symptoms. It's like a huge sigh of relief because it's like, oh, I thought it was there's crazy. An answer. Yeah, yeah, there's an know, answer. You know, I thought something was wrong with me. I didn't know why. So yeah. can can um, are there precognitive tests out there that a parent can be proactive in giving their, their athlete ahead uh, of time? Absolutely. Um, and for example, Fresno State um, Physical Therapy Department offers free baseline testing. They're part of our consortium. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, so the physical therapy gait and balance clinic, um, they offer free baseline testing. You can go and get that assessment and get your child assessed before the season. Um, we would like to see more schools take advantage of that because right now it's optional. 
you know, you have your child playing a high impact sport and the parent just checks, eh, no, I don't want my child to do that. Um, well, I think if parents really understood the implications Absolutely. of the sport they're playing, it's literally a no brainer. They would want to do that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's really critical. Um, I think in the future, what we're going to see is mandated baseline testing yeah. and schools, um, will have to offer that to their athletes before the season. I mean, every child that plays a sport in the school district has to get a physical. Why not just add that in? That would just make complete sense. But at, at minimum, if this is something that Fresno State is offering at no cost, at minimum, every athlete out there that lives in Fresno or Madera County should be going there and getting that, especially if, like I said, like you said, there's no cost to it. Yeah. That's easy. That's a no-brainer. Yeah. yeah. And and you brought up the key point, though. You know, some of these, um, these athletes – they, they really want to play, even if they had a concussion. And some of them aren't reasoning clear, clearly or they don't understand um, the seriousness of it. Um, but we do have um, examples of where the child tries to, to flop that initial baseline test so that when they do have a concussion, it looks, you know, as low as that initial one. But there's ways of going through and validating the test and making sure that that's really. But, you know, sometimes that's actually how we highlight and we identify kids that have already had multiple concussions and they're already struggling. And so then we... There you go. We kind of yeah. go, ooh. Yeah, so if we you don't playing? pass the cognitive yeah. test, maybe you can't play. So yeah. it's in your best interest to do a good job at it. Yeah. Gosh, kids are so dang smart. It's yeah. a little smart, Alex. They are. So <laughs> is there anything else that I'm leaving out that I, sh- that I should be asking? Or, you know, it's such a complex area of – and there's so much that falls under this topic. I feel mm-hmm. like we're not – you know, we don't necessarily have enough time to get to it all. Yeah. Um, I, think, I think we just – we pretty much covered it. I mean, the only – the only other thing that I would um, kind of put out there to the general public is, um, you know, like I said, oftentimes in the hospital, the the focus is on the broken bone or the, the visual injuries that we can see. Mm-hmm. And so it's really, really important that if you're listening, um, that you recognize and understand that brain injuries go missed all the time. They aren't always diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um And so that's something that you really do have to be an advocate for if you think that one of your loved ones sustained um, a concussion or a more serious brain injury. Um, I see it every day. One of the things that we did um, from 2015 to 2016 in our brain injury development uh, program at the hospital is we collected data um, for all admitted trauma patients that sustained traumatic brain injuries. There was 1,500 patients um, that sustained brain injuries in that year's period. How many of those patients do you think were actually diagnosed with traumatic brain injury? What would be your guess? I would say probably a half. Okay. Yeah. That's what you would hope. Yeah. Um, the number was 31. <gasps> and so um, it was less than 2%. And so when we talk about brain injury being an epidemic – and under identification being a problem, it's a real problem. Yeah. It really is is not happening. And so we're improving that number. We're working on that in ways, and there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, like I said, if, if you have a patient who's in a massive car accident and they're not even stable enough to go get an x-ray, they might have to open them up and save their life to stop the bleeding. Right. The headpiece is an That's, afterthought. Yeah. It's you not know? bleeding right now. Yeah. Exactly. As far as I know. <laughs> exactly. So... Um, There's a lot of reasons for that, and there's a lot of miracle workers out there taking care of the the patients. Um, 
But eventually these patients have to transition home and be able to function and be able to return to work and go back to school. And, and so the headpiece is really important at that point for sure. Yeah, so, that, so that's true. Maybe everybody should be getting a, a baseline cognitive, even you know if you're not playing any high-impact sports <laughs> you or know, sports I, in general. It's funny you say that. In the future, that might be something that's mm-hmm. part of the, the annual physical, you know? You never know. So. Yeah, it would make sense. I mean, because yeah. even with, you know, dementia patients, if you're, if you're working towards or if, if you feel like you're losing your, you know, your mind, which everybody does at some point in their life, <laughs> I mean, that would be a good idea, so... Well, thank you for coming. I appreciate yeah. it. And, you know, as as the, the Valley gets more, you know, their arms embraced around this type of uh, cognitive testing or just around how to prevent these concussions, come back, talk to us, let us know what Absolutely. what the hospital's doing and what the schools are doing. I, I love it. And, you know, parents out there, watch your kids and, and push for these types of testing. I mean, they're, you know, you're the one that pays their salary. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And I'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you so much.